It's good to be in church together. Now let's uh, turn to our Bibles now. We're looking at Romans chapter 9, my friends. Romans chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 30 through to verse 21. Romans chapter 9, and uh, you'll find it on page 946 in the church Bibles. They're in the pew rack in front of you, or on the front row, they're right underneath, and uh, you should be able to find a, a church Bible, page 946. Uh, I'm preaching on Romans, not this passage, um, in Boston this week, so I appreciate your prayer. I'm at Gordon-Conwell Chapel on uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, it's been a delight being in Romans uh, for such a brief time at College Church. So, (laughs) Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a stumbling, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not, not never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I'll make you jealous over those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I'll make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Such is God's word. Salvation is always surprising. Guillaume Bynon was a French atheist. He was uh, trained in some of the best schools in France. Uh, He's uh, also a gifted athlete. He played actually for the national volleyball team. And then he became a Christian. 
Now he's actually an evangelical theologian. This is not the normal story, not what we're told is happening in our culture and in our country and in the West today. In the normal story, there's a certain narrative. This is the secularization narrative. It goes like this. As people become more educated, then they become more sophisticated, and they become more exposed to contemporary culture, then they're less likely to believe. The trouble with that, and as I say, salvation is a surprising thing. When you throw up an example like this Guillaume Bynan, the French atheist, very sophisticated, educated. I mean, what could be more educated, sophisticated, and urbane than a preternaturally intellectual six-foot-four volleyball champion millennial Frenchman? And now he's a theologian of all things. Salvation is always surprising. But that's not the story we're told. In fact, uh, people may have told you other stories. You may have had someone say to you, oh, the only reason you're a Christian is because you grew up in a Christian home. I can tell you I know many people who grew up in Christian homes who are not Christians. And conversely, I know many people who did not grow up in Christian homes who are Christians. That is both troubling for parents and a great relief. We cannot organize grace for our children. But again, that is not the story we're told. You uh, have heard other stories, I'm sure. Perhaps someone has said to you, good people go to heaven, bad people go in the other direction. But no, surprisingly, salvation does not work that way. I know many very apparently good people who will have nothing to do with Jesus. And yet I have also met and know many people who have done terrible things, who are now gloriously free serving Jesus. How do we understand this surprising, contrary thing called salvation that can pick out a French atheist and turn him into a theologian? Well, the Bible is actually telling us about that this morning. I know the passage reads a little complicated because Paul is dealing with various quite complicated matters of the Old Testament Scriptures, and we'll, we'll touch on them a little bit, at least this morning. Uh, but at its most basic, this passage is quite simple. And let me just lay it out for you. It has a contrary, surprising proposition and therefore conclusion. So here it is. It is saying works don't work. They don't save. We think they do. We've been told they do. We've been told that if you grow up in a Christian home and you play by the rules, then you'll be saved, and yet that's not the way it works. Works don't work. Faith does work. Now, we have to be careful with that word faith because people think of it as an intellectual decision. Of course, the Bible means a commitment, a relationship. Works don't work. Faith does work. It does save. Contrasting propositions 
And then the conclusion at the end, which is, therefore, tell everyone about this. Everyone. Proclaim the gospel. Therefore, proclaim the gospel. Okay, so first, works don't work. Now this, as you look down, I hope you have your Bibles open or you can crane your neck over to your friend's uh, Bible. Um, Get really close to them. Don't put your arm around their shoulders. They might be surprised, but try and see a Bible if you can. And this section, works don't work, is really uh, from verse 32 of chapter 9 through to verse 4 of chapter 10. But before we dive into that, I want to just remind you of the contrast that Paul is laying out here so you don't just think I'm making it up. And this is um, at, the, uh, at the beginning of our passage, verse uh, uh, 30 and 31. So look down with that. He's concluding from our sermon last week. What are we going to say about this? Well, what we're going to say is that it's surprising. The Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, they got it. They attained it. So righteousness by faith. Israel, who pursued a law that they thought would lead to righteousness, did not get it. They didn't succeed in reaching that law. This is the surprise. Works don't work. Faith does work. This is the contrast. It is, if you like, a strategy. Different ways of going about being saved. Paul is going to show that this is not about a contrast between the Old and New Testament. In fact, the whole Bible has always taught that we're saved by faith. That will be a surprise to some of us. Paul's going to make that very clear. No, what this is about is a misunderstanding of the nature of God and the way he saves us. Now, look down with me at this section from verse 32 of chapter 9 to verse 4 of chapter 10, which is why Paul is beginning to explain why. Why don't works work? Why is it that someone can be exposed to religious things, someone can seek religious things, someone can be very religious and yet not be saved and yet not get it? Why? Verse 32. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as it were, based on works. Now Paul's going to explain that argument. So verse 33, he quotes from Isaiah. Paul's saying there's a stumbling stone. So all the way through the Bible, this is the Old Testament Isaiah, right? All the way through the Bible, there has been this stumbling stone, what I am describing as Works don't work, faith does work. It's always been there. There's always been a call to faith or what he calls believe. And those who believe will not be put to shame. They will be saved. Now, the nature of the stumbling stone, of course, is ultimately Christ. And behind that is receiving Christ through faith. And you say, well, what makes that a stumbling stone? What makes that something you trip over? And the answer to that, of course, is that it offends our pride. If we are saved by works, then we can congratulate ourselves. But if we're saved simply by grace through faith, it's very humbling. But it's also wonderfully freeing and leads to celebration, as we will see. Then you'll look at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 10. He talks about, again, his own desire for 
saving Jews so that no one can think, and so many people have, so many people. You can read it in the commentaries, you can read it down through history. They think that Paul is making an anti-Semitic argument. I mean, how bizarre. He is a Jew. You know, it's just ridiculous. So yet Paul is guarding against that misunderstanding. I remember once telling the story at the, ch- at the church I was preaching at, and I made the point, you know, Jesus was a Jew. And afterwards, a messianic, that is, believing in Jesus as the Messiah, messianic Jew from Brooklyn came up to me. And I cannot imitate her accent. Well, I might try if, it, if the spirit really gets going, you know. But um, she came up to me and said, oh, no, pastor, you know, Jesus was not a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. And then she said, oh, yeah, Passover, he's serving matzo balls in heaven, which I guess might be the case. I just don't know. But anyway, good thing I didn't attempt the Brooklyn Jewish accent. And then to make uh, what he's saying absolutely clear, verse 4, he um, uh, sort of summarizes the end of this section. Christ is the end of the law. Now, this may also be translated this way or put this way, and it's often very confusing, our English translations, because the word righteousness and justification seem very different, but they're the same root word. And so here you have Christ, it could be translated, Christ is the end of the law so that everyone who believes may be justified. And if we're justified, then we're saved. So we believe, then we're saved. Christ is the end of the law. That is, it's not by works, it's always been by faith. Now, Before we go on to the next section, which is where we get a little more of the purchase and the practical kind of payout for this uh, work we're doing to understand this passage, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine with me a husband, okay? So there he is. He's had a long week, and he's uh, coming home. It's Friday evening, and his wife greets him at the door and then hands him a bill for services rendered that week. Here you are. And on the bills, he looks at it, is uh, the hours that she's uh, spent uh, at home, in addition to her other job. I'm not, you know, I'm not making any points here. I'm just, you know, in addition to her other job, right? Um, uh, all the time she has spent doing all these various things, you know, um, 10 diapers changed, that will cost you, you know, half a million dollars. Have you seen the diapers? You know, wow. Um, all itemized, all the hours that she spent working. And at the end, a little date for when she's expecting, you know, her salary to be paid. So she hands it to her husband and says, well, thank you. Um, I'm going to clock off now. Have a good weekend. I'll see you Monday. She goes out the door. Now, if you were doing counseling for that couple, if you can imagine that you might be such a thing, what would you think was going on? (laughs) They had a misunderstanding about the nature of their relationship. It was an employee-employer contract. Now that is exactly throughout the Scriptures. Jesus tells parables about this. The workers in the vineyard who are all paid exactly the same amount, however long they work, 
because it's not an employer-employee contract. And so we've got to get our minds off this idea that we're paying God back or paying our dues or it's so easy, isn't it, to think, you know, I prayed for only five minutes this week and therefore I'm in trouble. Or this week I prayed for four hours, God. Now something's going to happen. You know, we, we give him our bill of services rendered and expect payment. Well, that's, it doesn't work that way, Paul says. Works don't work. Faith uh, does work. Look down with me then at this next section, which is from verses 5 through to 13. And I'm going to read it for us once more. Uh, Verse 5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That is, um, this misunderstanding of the Old Testament law, the righteousness based on the law. He writes about it saying, and then this next phrase is actually a quotation from Leviticus The person who does the commandments shall live by them. So Paul was imagining someone saying, hold on, Paul. What about what Moses said in Leviticus? The person who does the commandments shall live by them. Surely that is saying works do work. Okay? Then Paul says, ah, I know the Bible better than you. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Now, those of us who know the Bible really well will realize that Deuteronomy is um, Moses' sermon or collection of sermons, his interpretation of what he's been teaching. So Deuteronomy is, is Moses' way of saying, this is what I have meant all along. So he goes to Deuteronomy, and, he, and then he begins to quote from him and explain it. So verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will send into heaven. That is, Paul interprets, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, Paul's saying even that is actually about Jesus' death and resurrection. And then verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, quoting from Deuteronomy. And then Paul interprets that saying, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Same message. And then he goes on with these famous, uh, you know, if you confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. And uh, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And this is the way it's always worked for Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing this key phrase for this part of Romans, I think it's the key phrase, riches. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, it's always being by faith. And so uh, Paul is, as it were, saying that Moses, Moses means what he says. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Actually, there was a message of salvation. While they could not perfectly keep the law in the Old Testament, there was a message of salvation that they could attain. And that same message is being preached today, now that Christ has come. The word of faith that we uh, proclaim. Now, again, I want you to imagine that husband. Okay, so there he is. Just, you know, turn back the video in your mind. And there he is. He's coming into the door again. After a uh, long week, 
It's Friday night, he comes in, uh, you know, maybe he's a, a doctor, his wife's a lawyer, whatever. He comes in and, you know, you know what Shakespeare said about lawyers? You don't. Shall I tell you? First of all, shoot all the lawyers, you know. I can only say that because I trained as a lawyer and so did my wife, so you can laugh now, it's fine. Okay, so then there's a doctor and a lawyer. He comes in, there's his wife, she's been working hard. She hands him this bill for services rendered. But instead, he takes that piece of paper, a bit of a tear in his eye, he just rips it up. Ali, let's get out of here. They go to the most expensive restaurant in town. The wife says, we can't afford it. So I don't care, we're doing it. Tonight, I'm taking you out. Whatever you want. He orders flowers for the table. And... As they're sitting eating, he passes across the table his credit card. says, look, you know, by the way, here's my bank account. And he says, look, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you don't like the car you've got. Look, here's my car. It's all yours. Paul says, that is exactly what God is doing in Christ. He bestows his riches on all who call on him. And you say, that's kind of risky. <laughs> it is. It is kind of risky. And in fact, it cost God everything. You look at the cross and you see, of course, his salvation, but you also see the pain of God, his love. Works don't work, but faith does work. Counterintuitively, surprisingly, and this is where it connects all those people who have been exposed to religion. This may be you. You may be exposed to all kinds of Christian, Christianism, I don't know what it is, you know, don't dance, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, whatever it is. And, you know, thou must wear a black suit just like Jesus did. Um, and, of course, it's a turn-off. Works don't work. You know full well you don't keep the law. I mean, you can pretend for an hour on Sunday morning, maybe. Paul's saying that's a misunderstanding of the whole heart of the Father God, the husband God. His relationship with you is not an employer-employee contract. It's a father-son, husband-wife relationship. And when you understand that, 
something amazing happens. And this is the conclusion. So verses 14 to 21. Verses 14 to 21. What is the conclusion? Paul then embodies it in his own response. So verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom... He's working out the necessary consequences of realizing the the beauty of the bestowing of all God's riches on us. Well, if that's the case, how are they going to find out about it? Only if someone tells them. And how are they going to be people telling these people about these riches if no one commissions them to tell people? For these feet really are beautiful. And so the necessary consequence is preaching. And I don't just mean behind a a box. I mean telling people about Jesus. I mean discipling people. I mean exuding over breakfast at Starbucks a thrill that Jesus loves you. And once you begin to think like that, you... You look at people around you and they don't get it. You just long that they would realize it isn't an employee-employer contract. There's a Father God who loves them. There's a Son who gave himself for them. And you just, you just begin talking about it naturally, in your own voice, in your own way. And churches... Churches exist to commission people, to equip people, to send people. That's what a benediction is. It's a sending. To go, tell people about what you've heard. There is, of course, and we don't have time to get into it in great length this morning, one other consequence, which is from verse 16 to the end. And the reason why we're not going to do it is not because it's more negative or more difficult to preach on. I'm more than happy to preach on difficult things, as those of you who've been here over the years will realize. But um, because really to understand 16 to 21 well, you've got to understand the rest of uh, chapter 11, and we're going to do that next week. But there is one part that we do need to draw out. And that is what he says, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So there is this misunderstanding of the gospel that, uh, of re- uh, that religion is all about works. It's an employer-employee contract. There is that understanding, but grace and faith can also be misunderstood. Actually, faith is about obeying the gospel because the person you are putting your trust in is the Lord of the whole universe. And to trust Him is to bow before Him. And so surprisingly, the real reason why people prefer works is so they don't have to obey God. They then don't have to submit to God. 
because it's their religious works, not his work. Well, these things of the gospel are beautiful. There are extraordinary riches. And there are, yes, French atheists, people coming to faith in Christ in Wheaton as well, Chicagoland. I've had several conversations of people coming to faith in the last little while. A couple I met after church the other week, a neighbor of a friend. One or two Wheaton College professors, apparently. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> I think they already get it. By and large. Uh, at our uh, elders meeting the other week, the chair of the elders encouraged us all to be willing to want to share the gospel, 